Today's scripture reading is going to be from Exodus chapter 24 verses 9 to 11. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved walk of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Sometimes when we focus on the details of something, we may lose sight or forget the larger picture of which it's a part. Now, sometimes it's very good to focus on the details of something. In this case, the beauty and the color of the flame, the amazing artistry and the sculpture of the hand and so forth, and it's something worth our attention, to look at the details. But it always helps to see something in its greater context, to have an appreciation for it. Over the last few months, we have been looking at some details, very important scriptural details of the Ten Commandments. For several weeks, we've been exploring these teachings, the principles of this foundational part of the Old Testament covenant, and how it should be applied in our lives. These are certainly worthy details of our reflection and our application. But today we're going to kind of step back and take that wider angle view of where we are while all of this is going on. We are at Mount Sinai, God having brought Israel out of Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. God has fed them with manna. He has given them water from a rock. He has delivered them from their enemies. And they have come to Mount Sinai to meet their God. And they are in His presence. By the grace of God, Israel has come to be redeemed. But redemption is not the final goal for Israel. Redemption is a means to an end. God's goal for Israel is relationship and covenant. God redeems them that He might be their God and they might be His people. And so they have come to Mount Sinai to enter into a covenant with God. The story of that covenant and entering into it is found in Exodus chapters 19 to 24. That's where we've been studying the last several weeks. It's in the first part of chapter 19 that God makes His intentions known to Israel at the mountain. In verse 3, The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now therefore, if you... Indeed, obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all of these words that the Lord had commanded. And all the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So God announces his intention. I want to enter a covenant with you. I want you to be the kingdom of priests on this earth for me. And the people respond by saying, yes, yes, we're ready to accept that and do whatever you tell us to do. And so God lays out the terms of the covenant. 
The terms of the covenant essentially are laid out, first of all, in the Ten Commandments, in in chapter 20, the verses we've been studying for some time. Following the Ten Commandments is an elaboration on those commandments and on the law of God that's sometimes referred to as the Book of the Covenant. And in chapters 20 to 23, Moses lays that out, or God lays that out to Moses on the mountain. And then God tells Moses, okay, here's my commitment to you. The first part, chapters 20 to 23, God is saying, this is what I demand of the people if they want to enter into this covenant. And then God says, and this is what you can expect from me. This is my commitment to you. I'll send my angel ahead of you who will prepare the way for you. You listen to him and obey him because he speaks on my behalf. I will go before you into this land. I will deliver you from all of your enemies and they will fall before you and you will enter the promised land. And God says, just know this. Do not make any covenants with those people and do not worship their gods. And then he tells them the expansive territory that he will give them from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. And it's at that point that they begin the process of entering the covenant in quite a formal way. Can you imagine what it would be like if you're among the Israelites standing there Knowing what you know about this God, knowing about His holiness, knowing about His almighty power, standing there getting ready to pledge your covenant allegiance to Him and to Him alone. What a sobering time it must have been for the children of Israel. But that's what they do. The story is told in Exodus 24 where we first read in verses 1 through 2 of God's calling of Moses and other leaders of Israel into his presence. God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses shall alone come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So God says, Moses, it's, it's time. I want you to come up. I also want Aaron. Now, Aaron will be the high priest. He's not yet the high priest. Nadab and Abihu are the sons of Aaron. They will be initially the priesthood of Israel, though that hasn't happened at this particular point. And then 70 elders who are representatives of the people, they come up the mountain. They're told to walk up this mountain. This is the mountain that they had just been told, anyone who touches this mountain will die. And now God says, I want you to come up on this mountain, and I want you to meet with me. Moses is told that he will draw further. He is the chief mediator and the deliverer between God and the people. And the others are to stay at a distance. And the people down on the floor of the earth before the mountain. And then in verse 3, and this would appear to be prior to going up to the mountain, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. When it says that Moses spoke all the words of the Lord, this would essentially be chapters 20, 21, 22, and 23. Moses recites to the people the commandments that are originally given, the ten, and then the book of the covenant. And after doing so, the people say, yes, we are ready to accept that as the terms we will we pledge our allegiance to do everything that God is asking of us and then notice that Moses writes the scripture writes these words down essentially here Moses is writing down 
Exodus chapter 20 to 23. And then, in the morning, we read, He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So an altar is built. There's going to be sacrifice. And twelve pillars or stones are erected, each representing one of the twelve tribes uh, of the people. Then young men are sent out. Remember, there's no priesthood yet. So Moses chooses some young men to go out among the people and to begin offering sacrifices. It would, it would appear to me that these are sacrifices that are being done throughout the entire assembly so that everyone is participating to some degree here. And we're told that they offer burnt offerings. A burnt offering is when an entire animal is consumed in flames on the fire. The whole animal is burnt up. And typically, these kinds of offerings were connected with the forgiveness of sins and also with a, uh, making a pledge or a consecration to the Lord. It was, it was if you would take your animal to the altar and burn it up completely as an indication that you have me completely. I promise everything I am to you and totally consecrate my life to you. Then there are peace offerings, we're told, that are also offered among the assembly throughout the area in front of the mountain. The peace offerings are expressions of reconciliation and fellowship and peace between the worshiper and God. And as we'll see in a few moments, they typically have as an aspect of them the sharing of food. We'll come back to that. And then, as the story continues in verse 6, Moses took half of the blood. Okay, there's a lot of animals here and there's a lot of blood. And Moses gathers up the blood from these offerings. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The blood is divided. Moses takes half of it and throws it against the altar. To throw the blood against the altar is to bring about atonement or the forgiveness of sins. It's taking that sacrifice and bringing it into the presence of God. And then do you notice, we're told that he reads the book of the covenant. And we've been told already in this chapter that when he came down from the mountain, he recited all of these words. Then he wrote them down. Now he comes back with that book of covenant and reads it again to the people. And so the people again affirm, yes, all that the Lord has said, we're going to do. And then Moses takes the blood, and it says in the ESV, he throws it. The word means to throw out. The word sprinkle is also used because as you throw blood out over a large group of people, it comes down in droplets, and people are sprinkled with blood. And he says, as this blood falls upon them, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And so it is that the covenant between God and Israel is ratified with blood. Blood on the altar to atone for sins, and blood on the people as an indication of God's grace that has fallen upon them, calling them into a relationship with Him by the blood of the covenant. This is just 
such an awesome moment for these people and for this nation and what's happening to them. Can you imagine what it would be like to stand among this crowd entering into a covenant with God literally stained with the blood of the covenant. The blood upon you and the blood upon your clothing. As a reminder of what has just happened. And to do so in the shadow of this awesome mountain of the Lord. It's a climactic moment in the story of Scripture. It is one of those watershed events in the life of Israel because this is the moment when they become the people of God. This is the time when they become the kingdom of priests. This is the time they are designated as a holy nation through whom God will work His plan. It's an amazing moment. And having taken note of that, we're still moved to say that what happens next is one of the most Amazing and surprising and powerful stories recorded in the Old Testament. Because now, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel will climb that terrible mountain, that holy place where God dwells, into the cloud and smoke of the mountain of God. And it's difficult to imagine a more awe-inspiring scene as we read in verse 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. Apart from an understanding of the significance of religious meals in the biblical world and especially among God's people, this scene could be quite confusing to say the least. But even if we were to turn back into the pages of Genesis, we'll find that there are these religious meals that take place. They're associated typically with a covenant. When someone enters a covenant, sometimes when two people make a covenant, and sometimes when God and an individual enter into a covenant, you have something very similar to what we read here. Uh, in Genesis chapter 31, there's the story of Laban and Jacob, and we're not going to go into the whole story, but let's just say it's a father-in-law and a son-in-law, and things have not gone well between these two guys for probably close to 20 years. And um, finally, Jacob leaves the land where his father-in-law lives. His father-in-law comes after him, and it looks like there could possibly even be a battle between these kinspeople. And they decide to make a pact of peace. A covenant of peace. So what do they do? First of all, they call on the Lord, Yahweh, to be their witness of the covenant. And then they pledge covenant loyalty to one another. They each say what they will do, which in this case happens to be 
I won't kill you, you won't kill me. I mean, let's just, that's basically the bare bones. We won't cross over from this point to come after you, and you won't cross over this point to come after me. We are going to live in peace, regardless of what's happened in the past. And then an animal is killed. And then they all sit down together and eat the animal that was killed. And they share in a meal together. And what's the significance of the meal? The meal is a living representation of the very peace that now exists between them because of the covenant that they've entered into in the presence of God, calling God to be their witness. And the meal celebrates that peace and recognizes it and enacts that peace in a very real way. Well, these kinds of meals are incorporated in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, especially among the peace or the fellowship offerings to God. And when such an offering took place, and it appears from Exodus that they're really essentially already taking place, at least in some sense, the worshiper would come to the altar, to the priest. They would bring their animal. They would kill the animal themselves, getting the blood from that to give to the priest. The blood would be offered on the altar. The priest would take part of the animal and burn it up completely. The entire animal would be burned up essentially as God's portion of this animal. The rest of the animal would essentially be cooked. And afterwards, the flesh of the animal would be given to the worshiper, who would then with his family or if his family wasn't large enough to finish the meal completely with his family and close friends, they would sit down in the presence of the Lord at the tabernacle and they would share this meal together. The meal shared in the presence of the Lord in that sense because they were at the holy place in the courtyard or out in front was a way of demonstrating the peace with God that the sacrifice had brought about. So the eating of the food was so very important. There was a portion that was offered up to God. There was a portion that was shared by the worshiper. Notice how they ate the very thing that was sacrificed. They consumed the very offering that was burned up completely to God. And in that meal, the sacrifice becomes a reality because they're sharing a meal in the presence of God. And so what's happening here on the mountain as Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders make their way up the Mount of Sinai, the covenant has just been ratified in blood down below with all of the people. And now they come into the presence of God to eat and drink. Which at first might seem kind of strange, but we know, as we would ask, well, where does the food come from? The food that they're eating and drinking comes from the peace offerings that were offered in verse 5. In verse 5, peace offerings have been made, along with whole burnt offerings. And now what we have with these men going up the mountain is basically them taking some of that meat that has been cooked on the altar. We don't know if they offered any kind of grain offering or drink offering along with that. If they did, they might have bread that was part of the sacrifice. They might have wine that was part of that sacrifice. But they bring the food the meat and so forth that had been offered to God as a peace offering and with this they ascend the mountain and in view of God's presence they eat and drink. Some of the most profound moments in Scripture are recorded with the least amount of words. 
we would be wise to pause and reflect on these three short verses. Can you imagine what it would have been like to make your way up the mountain? I have to point out, looking at this artist rendition, I doubt if there were steps, first of all. <laughs> I don't think it was that easy of a trek. Oh, how nice. Look at that with the handrails here where it gets a little steep. They make their way up the mountain. I would assume with some, with some sense of joy and peace because they've just offered these sacrifices. It's been ratified by blood. They're walking up with blood on their clothes and blood on their skin because they have just entered into a covenant with God and there's a certain joy and peace because they have become the people of God and they're coming into His presence for fellowship. But can you also imagine the sense of trepidation and fear you would have to experience as you made your way up that terrible mountain into that cloud knowing that somehow, in some way or manner, you were coming into the very presence of this Almighty God. And so it is that they make their way up the mountain. And when they come into the presence of God, we're told that they see Him. It would appear in the text and from other texts that they do not see God completely. About nine chapters later, in Exodus chapter 33, God himself says, No one can see my face and live. But there is some aspect of God's glory there nonetheless, and our eyes are drawn to what their eyes are drawn to. The text points out that there's somehow they see something around his feet. There's some glory there of God that is present, and this is the glory of the God of Israel. It's not God apparently in His fullness, but there is the glory of God there. And then under His feet, there is something like a pavement, and it's sapphire blue. This is not some aspect of Mount Sinai where there's like a blue shelf or something. This is something glorious and heavenly that's taking place in reference to the presence of the glory of God. And this blue, sort of like pavement, because there's no other word for it, it isn't pavement, but it's something like that. It is as clear and as blue and as transparent and as beautiful as the clearest heavens and clearest skies could ever be. And though they are that near the glory of God, The text tells us he did not raise his hand against them. Why not? Because they are at peace with God. Because they've been invited into his presence. Because they have entered into covenant. Because that covenant has been ratified with blood and they've been forgiven of their sins. And God invites them into that presence. They have been reconciled. And so they behold God. And eat. And drink. This is their covenant meal. This is their meal of thanksgiving and entrance into covenant. This meal is an enactment. A living expression of the real fellowship that they have with God because of the blood of the covenant that's been offered for them and the blood that has been sprinkled upon them. This is a witness to that reconciliation in a meal that celebrates the blessing and the new relationship they have with God. They'll go down the mountain shortly, and then Moses will be called up in the next few verses. And it will be then, later here in chapter 24, that Moses will spend 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain. But before going on to that at some future date, 
we think of our covenant meal. When you read Exodus 24, it's impossible not to think about our covenant meal. Because we too have a covenant meal, just as Israel did. We think of the Lord's Supper. Of course, in the Gospels, the Lord's Supper is tied very closely to Passover. But there are also parallels between the Lord's Supper and this meal. Blood. There is talk of blood. There is the presence of blood. There are words being spoken about a covenant that is being entered. And there is eating and drinking by those who are participants. A meal that would be shared by a reconciled community. And we know these words so well we can nearly quote them from Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And we hear those last words about the Father's kingdom and drinking it anew. And we think, first of all, of course, and primarily of the Messianic banquet, that great that great end times view of sitting down at the table with the Lord Jesus, with all the faithful from all of the ages, and enjoying this amazing fellowship meal. But we can't help when we read these words to also consider what happens in the life of the church every week as we come to break bread and to drink the cup, knowing that our Lord is present with us as well, and that we share in a covenant meal together. Because we've entered into a covenant with God through blood. Not animal blood, of course, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That blood was shed on a cross. That is the altar of the new covenant. The altar of the new covenant is not an altar of stone. The altar of the new covenant is the cross of Jesus Christ, upon which the blood itself for our redemption is shed. And then that blood in that sacrifice being offered to God is for our forgiveness and our reconciliation. And by faith, in a deep and spiritual way, that blood has been sprinkled upon us. As the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. By faith, our hearts have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, even as we have been washed in the pure waters of baptism into a union with his death. And the sprinkling of the blood of Christ upon our hearts is an indication of God's grace toward you and me. 
that God has sprinkled us with the blood of Christ, that that blood speaks of forgiveness and grace and reconciliation and peace for all those who put their hope in Jesus Christ crucified and the blood that He shed for us. And having been cleansed by His blood, having been reconciled by His blood, having our new covenant with Jesus, or our covenant with God through Jesus, ratified by the blood of Jesus, you and I come today into the presence of God. We come here to give thanks. We come here to express gratitude for God's love and grace and to celebrate the atonement and forgiveness of our sins. We come here as an enactment of the real fellowship and reconciliation that's taken place through Jesus Christ. We assemble here today as a community at peace with God. And how do we experience that? We come into the presence of the Lord and we eat and we drink. We share in our covenant meal. Our covenant meal. We come to a holy place, not in the sense of geography or the building, but spiritually it's as if we ascend that hill of the Lord into His very presence. A presence we can enter into because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And in the face of our Lord Jesus, we see God. And we behold Him. And we eat and drink. Like Israel, but in a deeper spiritual way, we consume the very sacrifice that was offered. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. This is my body. This is my blood. Offered on the cross and shared in a spiritual sense in the amazing covenant meal that we partake of every Sunday. And it's a sober time because it... it, It's about the blood of Christ that was shed and the cost that was paid. And yet it's a time of rejoicing and celebration because we come around this table to give God thanks and to praise Him for the forgiveness that we have and the peace that we have in our lives and the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. And so today as we eat and drink in the presence of the Lord, let's remember the cost that's paid. Let's think of our Lord Jesus and what He's done and let us give God thanks for drawing us near because we come into the very presence of God and God does not raise His hand against us because the blood of Jesus Christ has been sprinkled on our hearts. Let's prepare ourselves to eat and drink with the Lord. I hope today as we come together and as we prepare to leave this place that we will do so praising God for His grace and mercy toward us through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus that will reflect today on the nature of this covenant, the price that was paid in the blood of Jesus Himself for us, that we will recommit ourselves to the keeping of that covenant, and that we will show that by going out into the world this week and living for Him. If you're not a part of the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ and His blood and haven't known the forgiveness of sins and peace with God, God invites you through Jesus Christ today to confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, to be baptized into Christ, to have the blood of Christ sprinkled upon your hearts as you're washed by faith in pure water, to come in contact with His death, to live out your new covenant relationship with God. Your plea is the same as ours as we're about to sing. Our only plea, 
Our only hope is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. And as we sing today, if there's any who need to come to him for cleansing, we invite you. Let's stand together as we sing.